I'm busy kind of messing with my timeline here. I got a thing I have to carry with me everywhere I go. I don't know if you ever think about that, but you know we do, right? This is this is how long we live. The word is forever. This is how long we live here on earth. By comparison, it's a little tiny bit of time, right? Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing this morning, guys? Doing good? We've been talking now for a few weeks since Easter, really, about this thing. We're, we're talking about living forever. The reality is we don't actually die. These bodies go back to the dust of the earth, but this body is just the shell that we inhabit. We, the soul, the psyche, the person, uh, lives on forever, and there is this eternity that we have to keep in mind. It's amazing how much time and energy we spend on this little bit of time compared to the reality that is before all of us. And so we've been in a series we're calling Epilogue, One Minute After You Die, and we're talking about writing the epilogue of our earthly life story today, which of course is going to go on much longer than the life story ever did. We established anything so far, it is that there are only two choices. There is a hell to avoid and there's a heaven to gain when we all come to that point. The, the good news is we get to choose. The reality is we have to choose and we have to choose quite honestly during this red portion because once we get to that point, there's no choice left. The choice is determined for us, and so what I'm trying to do during this series, quite honestly, with as much grace and truth as I know how, is to be clear about the reality of those choices so that we can make them so that when that day comes for each of us, the choice is, in fact, settled. And that's why Jesus gave us a parable, Matthew chapter 13, that makes it very, very clear about one of those choices so that we can be sure that we're ready for it. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 13. If you've got the Bridge NC app, go to the notes. You'll see all the notes there. If you'd like to have my notes, I'll send them to you this week. Uh, just email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. be glad to send you these very notes for your own research in the days ahead. But let's get into it this morning. A simple parable taught by Jesus himself to make clear the choices that we're talking about in this series. And there are three simple truths that are identified in this parable. Truth number one is everybody's going to face judgment. Say it with me. Everybody will face the judgment. One more time. Everybody will face the judgment. Look at somebody and say, that's you, that's me. We're all going to go there. Okay. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 and 48 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Understand Jesus isn't describing a kind of rod and reel with a hook and catch a few and leave a few for the next guy. This is a mammoth net in which every fish is caught, everyone is gathered, everybody's going to give an account. That means us. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it's appointed for man to die once, but after this the judgment, Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The second truth that I want to make sure you're aware of is that there are only two outcomes when we come to that moment of judgment. Again, Matthew 13, 48b says, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but they threw the bad away. Now, what I want you to see from that simple verse of Scripture is that there's only two categories, right? There's no 
well, he was kind of good. Well, he wasn't too bad. Or, you know, there's kind of six different categories or, or shades of gray or whatever else you want to call it. There's, there's two categories. There's only two. The third truth then is the big one, the bottom line truth, and that is Jesus doesn't want anybody to be cast away. Look at verse 50 and 51. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Now understand this is Jesus talking to his own disciples whom he's traveled with and loved. He's teaching to the people that have gathered to hear what he has to say. And at the end of telling this story, this, this kind of stark reality moment, where he's described there's, all of us are going to face the judgment. There's only two choices. Everybody's going to go one way or the other. He stops and says, did you hear what I just said? Now, how many of your parents? How many have been in one of those moments with your kids when you got the feeling that you're telling them something important and they aren't listening? And you lean in and say, boy, did you hear what I just said? Boy, don't make me come to you, right? You've been there, right? Are you listening to me? This is incredibly important stuff. And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this moment. In fact, there's only two times in the entire Gospels that Jesus utters that phrase. Once in Matthew 13, of course. The other's in John 13 when he washes their feet and says, if the greatest among you serves you, then you ought to serve one another. He said, do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is that we are created to serve. We're created for purpose and meaning that's beyond what we can consume for ourselves. And the reality is that one day we will stand before God and give an account for the way we lived our lives. I can almost, on this subject though, I can almost hear his agony. Guys, do you get it? Do you know how much I love you, right? And do you, do you understand the critical nature of what I'm saying? I mean, I can almost feel his anguish because quite frankly, on some levels, I share it right now as I stand here talking to you in this room and online and I get this sense that I'd rather not talk about this subject. I mean, I'd much rather talk about the grace of God. I'd much rather talk about the love of God. I'd much rather talk about the blessings of God. I'd much rather talk about the wonderful things that, that he is. But the reality is that our God is a holy God. He's a loving God, but he's a just God. Any of you agree with me? Yeah, it's kind of, um, we always love to soften bad news, right? I mean, <laughs> Even doctors, when we get a bad medical report and, and the, the prognosis is terminal, the doctor will still say something like, it's not good. What are we doing? We're trying to soften news that we know is hard to tell. Instead of saying so-and-so died, we say we lost him. What, you lost him in the park? When was the last time you saw him? I mean, could you go back to where you saw him last and find him? I mean, what do you mean? You, you lost him. Instead of talking about the reality of heaven and hell, somebody passes away and we say, what do we say? Well, at least he's in a better place. Really? For sure? I mean, is, does everybody get to go to heaven? I mean, if Hitler's there and Attila the Hun is there and, and Genghis Khan is there and, and Pol Pot is there, is it heaven? Or is it a replay of 
earth. The reality is there are two places the choice has to be made. So here's Jesus with this anguish, this personal anguish of telling his closest friends and those of followers a hard truth that nobody wants to hear, would rather doesn't exist, but he loved them enough. He needed to be sure that they, they got it. And I need you to hear me say, I love you that much too, that I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm, as unpopular as it may be these days to even talk about this subject, it is not a subject that the Bible leaves open to interpretation. There is a place. There is a horrible place. There is an eternal place. It was not created for you or me. It was created for Satan and the angels that followed him. But the reality is we may choose to go there if we don't make other choices. So in the few minutes we have this morning, uh, buckle your seatbelt. Uh, and if your kids are with you and you think this might be too intense for them, bridge kids will be glad to take care of them, help you out with it. I com we completely understand. But if they're old enough to hear this, they need to hear it too. I'm going to do my best to bring you this truth with as much grace as I possibly can, but absolutely in the truth as well. I, just like last week, I wanted to describe heaven the best of my ability, the limitation of my capacity and the capacity of the English language. And so today I want to describe hell as clearly as I know how because I don't want anybody, anybody, anybody to go there. Before we get to the description, can I do one more thing though? Can I address two kind of frequently asked questions, three FAQs that, that I hear a lot over the years. Maybe you've asked these questions yourself. Maybe other people have asked you these questions. It's, it's, these are two really important questions. Uh, question number one that I've heard probably the most over the years when we talk about this subject is, will, will a loving God really send people to hell? I mean, will, will a really, come on. This is the loving, you're telling me it's a loving God. Will a loving God really send people to hell? And the answer is no way. But you might well, send yourself unless you respond to the truth. I mean, here at the bridge, we like to talk about the attributes of God. We like to talk about his love and his joy and his peace and his gentleness and his goodness and his, and his all-knowingness. We have every intention of continuing to emphasize those realities. There's a lot of people who come to us who come in with the image that our God is a cosmic killjoy. He's a, uh, he's a divine, you know, cop who's trying to get you, trying to catch you in breaking a law. And so they, we're trying to help people to break free from that guilt-based fear-based understanding of who God is and what the church is all about. So we're going to continue to do that because they desperately need to know that they are loved. But that doesn't change the truth. Our God is not a bully, but he is holy. He's loving, but he's also just. Just because he loves you doesn't mean he's a pushover. You think about it, that's not a hard concept to grasp. I mean, we understand uh, the justice system, if somebody does the crime, somebody's got to do the time and, and justice, isn't, justice isn't always served, but there's something that was created in us to want justice. One day God will bring things, all things into account. Quite honestly, it's one of the reasons that we're able to forgive people when they hurt us because even though we can't bring them into account, we know one day God will. And so it helps us to process the things that have been done to us that are hurtful to us. We can trust God, that one day all things will be brought to 
righteousness. All injustices will be brought to right. In fact, the only reason he hasn't already done that is clearly stated in the Bible too. He's giving us time to get the word out. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, but God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. Bottom line, we don't know when that big account is coming, but it's coming. It's coming at least at the end of our lives. And next week when we finish up this series, we're going to be talking about the reality that this end may come sooner than any of us realize because Jesus may split the eastern sky any moment. We're going to talk about reasons why we think that might be really, really, really soon. So don't think because you're 30, you've got 50 years to deal with this. Reality is we all have to deal with it. God's giving us time to do so. For now, hear me. God wants you to choose life. But he won't take away your freedom of choice. We have free will. He's given it to us on purpose so that we can freely choose to love him back. But let there be no doubt about it. He came as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. He came with gentleness and grace. He's coming back to establish his kingdom. And if you don't accept him as the lamb, you will deal with him as the lion. You will face the God of the universe. Is that too harsh? That's reality. The second commonly asked question is, okay, well, then what happens to people who don't know about God? Oh, what about those people that have never heard? I mean, you think about the people in the, you know, in the jungles and the rainforest. You think about, quite frankly, people on the streets of Bible America, Bible, 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 Bible Belt America, easy for you to say. <laughs> they don't know. Well, that one's covered in the Bible too, Romans chapter 1. Verse 18 and 19, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what they may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, there's two key words in that passage that I want to take a minute with before we get into our description this morning. Try not to keep it too long, but I want to make sure we get this. The first key word is the word revealed. If you're taking notes, you want to underline that that word or uh, emphasize that word in some way. It is the Greek word apocalypto. We get apocalypse from it, apocalypto. What it literally means, though, is to take off the cover. What it literally means is to fully expose. And so he's saying that all men know the judgment is coming. He, in fact, he goes on for the next 14 verses making it clear that everybody knows the judgment is coming. Verse 19, he's made it plain to them. Verse 20, since creation, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Verse 21, they knew God. Verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge him any longer. Verse 32, they knew the ordinance of God. It's been revealed. It is revealed in creation. Even creation itself reveals the glory of God. Second key word is the word suppress. And it's the Greek word katechmo that means to hold down. So in one sense, it's been uncovered and revealed. And in another sense, they're holding it down. Did you see what it says in the verse? What are they doing to hold it down? They're holding it down to their own wickedness. They're saying, because I enjoy what I'm doing, there's pleasure in sin for a season. 
Hello. There's pleasure in sin for a season. I thought I'd get an amen or two. There's pleasure in sin for a season. I mean, even the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for Come on, guys. Sin's a gas. If it was a bummer, nobody would do it. <laughs> Trouble is, you get your kicks and then you get kickbacks. That's the problem, you see. And so with their wickedness that they don't want to let go of, they suppress that truth. They push that truth down. They go, mm, I don't want to think about that. I know judgment's coming. My high school buddies, everyone knew. <laughs> Just, oh, I don't want to deal with that. And so they push it away. And, and you don't have to have a church background to know that. I, you know, I've had the privilege of ministering now for, for as, as many of you know, 50 years. And we've ministered in the rainforest of the Philippines. And we've ministered uh, in three continents on the planet. And we've ministered in churches that were specifically designed to reach unsaved, unchurched people. And we've seen Praise God, thousands of people come to Christ and many of them with no church background whatsoever, no understanding of biblical knowledge whatsoever, but they still come in with this knowledge that there's a God-shaped void in their lives, there's an emptiness, there's a hole that needs to be filled and that one day they're gonna face God. Somehow they know that's reality without ever having been told by anybody and then they walk into our atmosphere and they sense something in the air. They see something in the people's faces. Pastor Andy telling us this morning about the brother that, that visited from New Jersey and, and in, in one visit, walking in our doors, sensed something was going on here and he believed it's about God and wants to be a part of it. I don't know his background or his relationship with God, but he sensed it. You don't have to know the jargon. You don't have to know all the theology. You don't have to know all the terminologies but you know. Can I tell you the best illustration of that that I know? When our boys were young, we had a, we had a pool, and, uh, and one of the favorite games that our boys uh, had in those days is, is they would love to get in the water with, a, with an inner tube. And they would take the inner tube. You guys probably played this, or you watch your kids play it. And they would try to hold the inner tube underwater right? And they would wrestle and it would wiggle and it was trying to force its way back to the surface and they'd hold it down and hold it down and after a while they'd get tired or it would get slippery and it would pop out up on the water and they'd all laugh and then they'd get back around it and they would reposition themselves and they would push it again and they found if they worked together they could hold it down longer. You know the game, right? Can I tell you as a pastor that I've had four more conversations than I even care to acknowledge both on a level like this and on one-on-one -on -one where I can see them pushing the inner tube down. I can see in their eyes that they understand that I am in the most loving way I know how telling them the truth, but they don't want to deal with it and so they push it down and they struggle and they fight against it. I stand here week after week and I tell you how much God loves you and I tell you that Jesus Christ came to die in your place. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life and, I, and hell is a very real place and we don't want you to go there and we, he made a way for you to escape that horrible place and I see the struggle and I see the wiggle and I see the looking at your watch to see how much longer this old white-haired guy's gonna keep talking. I get it. And the 
truth pops up and, and, I, and for a moment I think, okay, for a moment the Holy Spirit's doing his job and they're listening, but then fear and, and mistrust and hurts and unwillingness to change lifestyles and, and what's this gonna mean to my friends and, and all that stuff comes up and they start going, and they push the inner tube down again for a little while longer. Hear me as much as it breaks our hearts. The Bible is clear. As Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, they are without excuse. Well, what about people that never heard a preacher, Jim? Yeah, I met an elder, village elder in Kalinga Payal. Get your Google out after church, not now, and search Kalinga Payal. You'll find out it's the northernmost province of the Philippines, incredibly remote area when we were there in the 80s. Took about 15 hours to cover 150 miles down these beat up dirt roads and fording rivers to get back into those villages. A lot of headhunters in those villages and just incredibly remote place. And I was in one of those villages one time and was talking with a village elder and I was trying to tell him about Jesus and I could see a level of recognition but also a level of confusion and so I shifted gears and instead of trying to tell him my message, I asked him for his. I said, so do you believe that there is a life after this one? Oh, yes. Of course, I'm working through an interpreter. He spoke kankanai or some dialect that I didn't know and so uh, Joseph Benigno is translating for me as we go. So, so describe to me your understanding of this place. And he talked about a good place and a bad place. And, and so, well, how do, you, how do you decide? He's, well, God sent his son Kibunyan to make a way because the river Magat flooded one time and killed a bunch of people and he made, so he had a whole lot of the Old Testament motifs kind of confused and he had the Moses story and the Noah story and the Jesus story kind of mixed up but at the end of the day he understood that, that there is an eternity to deal with and that there was a way to deal with it and I said I'd love to introduce you to his son uh, we call him Jesus Jesus and I began to tell him about Jesus and I began to show him the scriptures and he recognized the truth of it immediately. See, every culture has an eternity motif. So what about those people? Well, I believe grace will cover those people. They sincerely want to know God. I believe grace is going to cover it. But they are responsible for whatever light they have and we have to assume that they need the truth and go tell them the truth. We can't just hope that they will pick it up from creation. That's why we do missions as aggressively around here as we do. That said, what's it gonna be like? What's this horrible place gonna be like? When you study the Bible on this subject, there's one word that kind of becomes a common thread in all of the verses that you read, and it's the word anguished. And so the Bible is very specific about this place being a place of, of anguish. In fact, it talks about four very specific kinds of anguish. So that's the approach I want to take. I want to describe the anguish to you, and then I'll bring this to a close this morning. The most commonly recognized anguish, of course, is the physical anguish of this place called hell. It's best described in a story told by Jesus himself in, uh, recorded in Luke chapter 16. There's a rich guy. Uh, who lived in luxury and was self-centered and was a crook and all those things. And there was a poor guy lived out at his gate named Lazarus who was a godly man. 
Eventually, they both died. The poor guy died, and angels came and carried him into Abraham's bosom, and, uh, and the rich guy died and went to Hades where he was in torment. So we pick up the story from there in chapter 16, verse 24 of Luke. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Now, let's be honest. You got the picture. If you or I were in that setting and we got the opportunity to talk to Father Abraham in that moment, I dare say we would not be asking for Lazarus to dip one tip. We'd be saying, do you have a cooler of ice water you could dump on me? Do you have a thermos full that I could chug but this guy is in such anguish that he's begging even for a drop of water on the tip of his tongue and it goes on forever pastor sam powell was student ministries pastor in the last church that kim and i served and he took a group of our teenagers down to an area where a lot of homeless folks uh, lived uh uh, under a bridge and area like that and it was in the dead of winter and he took, they took blankets and food and hot soup and things to go down to minister to them and try to share Jesus with them and, and at one point they were distributing blankets and, and this hot food to the guys and one of the, one of the teenagers looked at Pastor Sam and he said, uh, Pastor Sam, can we go in now? It is freezing out here. And all of the teenagers kind of looked at each other in that moment and realized we get to go in they're out here full time the reality is you never get to go in from this physical anguish it goes on forever the second kind of anguish is emotional anguish you think a healthy self-worth is hard to come by here. The word often used for hell in the Bible is Gehenna that literally translates garbage dump. You ever been to a dump? I'm not talking about a beautiful landfill like Wayne County Landfill where they you know, dump it and they put dirt on top of it and they plant grass and it's really pretty and it looks like a natural mountain. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a dump. The only one that I've ever had personal experience with is, uh, is in Metro Manila, uh, in the Payatas dump site where they bring uh, trash from, uh, from the southern part of that metro, metropolitan city, 15 million people in, in, in Manila. You can imagine the amount of trash that, uh, that they have. Payatas is nine square miles, six stories high of trash and hundreds of dump trucks coming every day to dump more. There are 150,000 people who live on that mountain of trash eking out a living trying to recycle whatever they can. I, I think Kim, you were with me on that trip. We saw uh, a, a little cottage industry off to the side where they were making mattresses and what they had done is they had, they had uh, sewn up new uh, covers and then they had found four inch foam on the dump as filthy as you can imagine it was, and they were sticking that filthy foam inside of these new covers and sewing them up, and they were selling them as new mattresses. <laughs> heaven help the people that were handling that foam all day. Heaven help the people that bought those new mattresses. But that's the reality. They're looked down on by everybody in society. They're looked down on by each other. 
There's no life in their value. I mean, no value to their life whatsoever. It's just a, a horrendous place. We saw children in the street taking a bath in sewage water that's running down the side of the street because that's the only water they had to bathe in. The reality of that on an emotional level, the reality is I'm not worth any more than this is what this place called hell, Gehenna the garbage dump will be like. Contrast that with the self-esteem that Jesus gives. I see it again here all the time. I see people come in and they've got a don't make eye contact with anybody, head down kind of look on their face and they kind of slip in and sit down and, and hide. And after a few weeks of, of hearing the good news and listening to the message and responding to Jesus in time, they're walking in with their shoulders back and their chest up and their head held high saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You just, you see the shift that takes place in their lives and their understanding of who they are because of what Jesus is doing now. Now contrast that with the way Jesus describes hell back in Matthew 13 again, the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You ever gnashed your teeth? Do you know what they're talking about? Gnashing of teeth? Talking about gritting your teeth? I think about it. When I think about gritting my teeth, for me, it usually happens when I'm running late, which I often am, and uh, uh, but I'm on my way there, and I get caught behind a farmer's combine going down the road, taking up both lanes. And I'm late. And I start getting my teeth. And the frustration starts to rise. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How, can this guy pull over? I know he's trying to make a living, but can I? Uh, and I just, you know, and about the, about the peak of my frustration, somebody behind me will start blowing their horn. And I'm going, oh, come on, man, I'm doing the best I can. I can't pass this guy. Come on. We were all in this together. And then finally, uh, I'll look up in the rearview mirror. I realize it's a church member saying, hey, Pastor Jim. Hey, Dad. Hey. The good news is here, eventually the combine gets to where he's going or he pulls over to let some traffic go by and there's relief. There, there's no relief. There's no cessation. This never goes away. Maybe your gritting of the teeth comes from other things. Maybe it's a job that's a real struggle right now, frustration in the workplace or, or struggle with school or, or, or in some relationships. But even then, there can be relief. You can go on vacation. You can get a new job. You can start new relationships. There are ways to get relief from the frustrations, but hell is forever, forever. Then, of course, there's, this increases with intensity as we go, in my mind. The third one, of course, is the relational anguish. One of the most amazing phenomena I've ever seen is that many people who continue to reject Jesus Christ kind of develop that, that, this defense mechanism. So this subject comes up and they kind of go, well, you know, yeah, I'm probably going to hell, but then all my friends are going, we're going to turn it into a party. We're just going to have some fun. You know, there won't be any fuddy-duddies, goody-two-shoes around to stop the party. We'll have freedom to do whatever we want, but understand you quickly see there is no rejoicing in hell. There is no camaraderie there. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's nothing but dark solitude. We talked about James 4.1 last week. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war inside you. 
You show me somebody who's stirring up conflict and I'll show you somebody who's looking out for number one. They're focused on themselves. That's the reality of, of somebody who's stirring conflict. When someone is drowning, they'll grab for anything. A drowning a victim in water will drown their rescuer if you're not careful. One of the first things I was trained as a lifeguard is be sure when you approach the drowning person that you stop for a minute and try to make sure they understand who you are or they will drown you too. Back in the day when I went to lifeguard training, they said, punch them in the face if you can't get them to stop any other way. Nowadays, they would sue you after you saved their life. So they don't teach that anymore. But you get the point. In heaven, we said it last week, all of that selfishness is gone. Therefore, the conflict that goes with it is gone. In hell, it is every man for himself. It is intensified. You think people are selfish and self-centered now. And then finally, the worst of all is the spiritual anguish. Luke chapter 16, let's go back to our Luke story. Verse 26, Abraham's now talking to the rich man who asked for that bit of water on the tip of his tongue. Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. You might say, so what? I mean, I don't care if God's in my life now. I don't, I don't care if godly people are in my life now. Why would I care whether he was there or not? Do you, do you understand the benefit that even people who claim they don't know God, the, the, the benefit they derive from the reality that God is here? The benefit that they derive because there are godly people still here? Do you, do you, do you understand the benefit that even people who are ignoring God or thumbing their nose at God get from the fact that there are godly people here? Even the most vile person on the planet gets the benefits of God in society, the benefit of godly people around them praying for them, the benefit of unselfish people willing to help them when their selfishness gets them in, in trouble, even career Criminals benefit from a society that desires to give them a chance to be heard in court. I mean, there is a, a fairness that comes in a society where God is there, but in hell, God withdraws his spirit. There is a great gulf fixed. In hell, there is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no fairness, and there is no hope of it forever. In fact, the Bible uses two key words to describe the feeling of that spiritual separation. One is darkness. He talks a lot about darkness. You ever been to one of those caverns, Grand Cavern, Luray Cavern, some of those deep caverns? One of the things that they do when they take you through the tour is when they get you down to one of the deep parts of the cavern, they will kind of prepare you for it and say, okay, we're going to turn the lights off for a minute so you can experience what total darkness feels like. And they turn the lights off. And if you've ever been there, you know that it's, I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face, you, nothing. It is totally black. And for the first five seconds or so, it's kind of, wow, this is a little weird. And within 10 seconds, you're going, okay, turn the lights back on now. It's, it's okay, you can turn the lights on. It's, but this goes on forever. The other words that we see used to describe this separation is this bottomless pit. Several years ago, uh, 
on a Sunday morning. Kim had taken our middle son to the doctor because he'd been injured and just playing with his friends the day before. And, and uh, so she went to a doctor's visit for him, make sure he was okay. And while I was there with, with our oldest son, it was four or five at the time, I, I fell down through the stairwell of our house. I mean, not, not down the stairs, I mean through the, the well to the bottom step below. And I still remember vividly this idea of, of you know, I flipped over the railing and I'm going to reach back and I'm going to grab the railing. Yeah, right. And, but I, and I slapped it and then went face down to the bottom. And that fall in some ways took in, uh, milliseconds. In other ways, it seemed like it lasted forever. So what we're talking about is this profound sense of falling. Further and further away from the presence of God. Further and further away from the presence of praying mother or grandmother. A praying father. Further and further away from the benefits of a society where godliness is still in play. Maybe, maybe that's why last night before I went to sleep, I found myself praying with just a deep level of anguish. Oh God, Holy Spirit, be the teacher tomorrow because if they've ever heard anything I've ever said, they need to hear this. I don't want to talk about it. Rather not even bring it up, but they need to hear this. Feeling a little bit like Jesus must have felt. Do you understand? Do you get it? Do you understand the reality of what I'm trying to say to you this morning? That life is a vapor. It passes so quickly and eternity is forever. i got to close. The question is, what do you do? In light of these truths, what do you do? There are two things, very quickly. If you've settled accounts with God, if you've accepted and embraced the grace of God, accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary, then your action step from this message is warn everybody you can with as much passion as you can raise. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. But before people can ask the Lord for help, they must believe in him. And before they can believe in him, they must hear about him. And for them to hear about the Lord, somebody must tell them how beautiful is the person who comes to bring good news. You want to be a beautiful person in the eyes of God? Bring good news. I remember vividly, I may have shared this story with you, but vividly when Kim and I were first married, sitting at the dining room table at her parents' house and, and her dad's in conversation with their oldest, their oldest child's mother-in-law, who at the time was not a believer. While he's talking to her, they're talking about a family gathering and they're having a wonderful kind of light conversation. I'm reading the newspaper at the other end of the table and, and I heard his voice change. I heard the tone change in his voice and he said, uh, I gotta go, but before I do, can I ask if you given your life to Jesus yet? And there's silence. And he said, well, you know, there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. Okay, I love you too. Bye-bye. When he hung up, I 
I actually said to him, I said, Mr. Lloyd, how, how did she receive that? He said, well, I, I think she knows I love her. I think she received it well. But this is what I know. She will never stand before God and say, Lloyd didn't warn me. Paul Smith, great missions pastor, tells a story about a dream that he had when he first entered the ministry. And it was a dream of sitting, watching a line of people as far as he could see of every race, color and creed lined up and they're walking up to a precipice and each one would step to the edge of the cliff and they would look back at him with a look that says, why didn't you warn me? And then step off. The next one would step up and say, why, why didn't you warn me? And step off. Why didn't you warn me? And step off. One after the other, after the other, after the other. And he woke up committed to reach as many people for Jesus as he possibly could in his lifetime. That's your action step and mine. Warn as many people as lovingly as you can. I'm not talking about hit them over the head with a two-ton Bible and say turn or burn, die while we go to the sky. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying with as much grace and truth as you can bring. Second action step, if you haven't, whether you're in this room or you're online, if you haven't settled this thing, if you haven't prepared for that judgment day, I beg you not to leave this room until you've prepared for it. Because see, once you've done that, you get to really live. That's when life really becomes abundant. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us how if you use your mouth to say, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth as hard as that truth may be. We thank you for coming in grace. We thank you for coming in truth. And I pray that everyone in this room right now, everyone watching online, would just do a quick inventory of their own hearts and ask themselves simply, have I settled accounts with God? If today's the day, if this is the moment, am I ready for him to call? And if not, if there's any doubt at all, pray that they would settle those accounts right here, right now. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out, but I do want to ask. And I hope, I hope, I pray listening you ready to pray this prayer pray silently pray aloud I don't care but pray Jesus I don't want to go to hell I want to go to heaven now I know the way is to use my mouth to say Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that you died on a cross but death couldn't hold you. You conquered death. You conquered hell. You conquered the grave. Because you're alive, I can be alive forever. With you in eternity, I can be saved. Father, you know who's praying right now. You know what's going on in their minds. 
Give them the quiet assurance that you've heard their prayer, prepared them for that eternal destiny we all face. In Jesus' name.